this morning, the message that I have for you is pretty simple. Your well-being is going to be determined by who you trust. Not by what happens to you. Not by the things that you achieve. Not by how much money you have or how much admiration you can get. Not by the way that the people around you treat you. Deep down, how you are doing will always be a function of where you place your trust. We're going to learn from Jeremiah, the prophet, who taught the same thing that Jesus taught, which is that when you trust in the Lord, then you will experience well-being independent of your circumstances. On the other hand, if you put your trust anywhere else, how things go for you will depend on lots of things that are going to be outside of your control. I can see some of you nodding already. Maybe you've learned this message. Uh, If so, let this be a time of reminding, and for others who this may be new for, consider how God might help us all today, every one of us, find a new way forward that will change the way our lives unfold in the days ahead of us. There's an old poetic contrast that the prophet Jeremiah offered to the people who lived in Jerusalem in a time that was uncertain and really unsettled for them, like our time is for us. If you do have a Bible, find your way to Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, down in verse 5. In that place, Jeremiah is going to describe two different ways that life can turn out. And everything depends on where you put your trust. All right, let's listen carefully. This is verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That's the first way that life can go. And now the second, verse 7. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. That's the second way life can go. According to Jeremiah, it's either a tree planted by water or a shrub in the desert. Two very different ways that life can go. One is cursed and the other is blessed. And if we'll take our time here, there's wisdom for every one of us. Let's start with the definition of two key terms. Both of them are very easy to misunderstand. Blessed. Uh, To our ears, that may sound like someone who receives divine reward for good behavior. As if the blessed person is someone 
for whom God is actively intervening in their circumstances in order to make life easier for them. And then cursed will sound like the opposite. Someone who receives punishment because they've been bad, as if God is actively frustrating your life, using his power to cause you misfortune. Now, before we go any further, please listen carefully and take this to heart. This is not how God works. God does not manipulate things to make life hard for some people and easy for others based on their past performance. Many folks will carry the burden of this wrong belief. And I can tell you this as a pastor. I've talked to people over the years who've struggled thinking that maybe their life is hard because they've done something wrong and God is against them. Whereas others will look at people who seem to be doing well and think God must be rewarding them for things that they've done which are good. And, and listen, that's not how God operates. In Jesus, God has actually saved us from that kind of reward and punishment dynamic. In Christ, God's grace is the free gift for all people. And God is good to everyone alike. That's the truth. And if you pay attention to the words that we've read together from Jeremiah, you can actually see that it does not support a reward punishment understanding of God with its tree and shrub difference. Listen carefully. The shrub and the tree both experience the same external challenges. It's not like one has it easy while the other gets it hard. In this passage, the life which is cursed and the life which is blessed are both scorched by the same blazing sun. Both get the same bad weather. Both experience and live through the same year of drought. The difference between them has nothing to do with what happens out there, but rather the difference is how they both manage the challenges in here, which they both have to face. Now I want you to think for a moment about your experience Maybe look back over this last year and have some things in your life gone wrong out there? I think there's no one at all who would say that everything's gone right, especially with what we've been living through. There were things that happened that you weren't prepared for. There were troubles you faced and are facing now that you cannot control. There are things which you wish would have gone differently out there but listen now, blessed or cursed is not about whether you experience challenges. It's not. It's about how you experience those challenges. And there's a big difference. If we take our time with the contrast that Jeremiah set up, we can see it. Look with me back at verse 6 for a moment. And first, we'll learn about the life which is cursed. Look carefully at verse 6. The life that is cursed is like a shrub in the desert, and that means it's struggling to survive, as Jeremiah says, in the parched places of the wilderness. Use your imagination. That's a life which is under constant threat. It's stressed because it lacks the basic necessities. If you imagine the desert during the dry season, 
All of life is hanging by a thread and survival comes down to one and one thing only. And that's the slim possibility of rain, which no one can control. The shrub can't control whether the rain falls or not. And the question then, will the clouds finally appear, is a serious one because this kind of existence is like trying, as Jeremiah adds, it's like trying to grow in an uninhabited salt land. When the soil is too salty, nothing grows. It's poisonous. And that's why the land is uninhabited when that happens. Cursed Cursed life is like being all by yourself with no support from others and facing a really bleak future. Have you ever felt like that? Look what the promise is for this life. And this is in in the beginning there of verse six. It's not a good promise. They shall not see when relief comes. You know, the rain always returns eventually. At the end of every dry season, Eventually, the water comes back, and then the plants that have managed to hang in there during that difficult time will revive, but not the life that is cursed. It will not survive the drought, according to Jeremiah, and when the weather turns around for the cursed life, it will be too late. That's what life is like, completely dependent on external factors that no one can control. Okay, let that sink in for a minute. That's what makes a life cursed. It depends 100% on external things that cannot be controlled. The contrast with the life which is blessed is not, it's not that things happening out there are better. It's not. Look carefully uh, with me now at verse 8. This is the life that is blessed. It is like a tree planted by water. Try to picture this in the desert. A tree which is planted by water. The heat threatens it just like every other plant in the desert. The drought menaces and deprives it just like it does to everything else which is alive. But this tree, look again carefully at what it says in verse 8, this tree shall not fear when heat comes. It doesn't need to be afraid when the weather becomes awful because Its roots go so far down into the soil, it is not anxious. Every other plant can be anxious because when the drought comes, it doesn't know whether it's going to have enough to live because its roots don't go down and connect it to that source of water. But the tree planted by streams, if the rain stops falling for one month or six months or even for a whole year, it's fine. It remains confident and secure because its well-being is not determined by the external state of affairs at all. Stop thinking about plants for just a moment and think about your own experience of life and how you respond to the challenges that come along that are out of your control. I'm sure most of us will know what it's like to feel awful because things out there are not going well just like we feel great when things go our way. But this is a picture that paints two contrasts in which one is great, the other is out of life, and the difference has nothing to do at all with what's going on out there. So the tree planted by water, look at the last thing that's said there in verse 8. Even in the year of drought, it does not cease 
to bear fruit. You were made to bear fruit in life. When, when a disciple comes and trusts Jesus, one of the things that Jesus longs for is that person's life will begin to bear fruit, which means it, it will provide nourishment and delight for other people in that environment who will benefit from how you are doing. When every other plant, try to get it in your mind, when every other plant is withering, the tree planted by water, its continued health remains a blessing for others. That is the life which is blessed. It's quite a difference between those two. I hope that you see that the difference is not about what happens to them, but instead it's how they respond. And this is the question, and it's, it's a very practical question for all of us here. How do you become more like a tree planted by water and less like a shrub in the desert? We should all want to know that. What makes the difference? That's the question. The answer, according to Jeremiah, comes down to who you trust. Look again at verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. This is what God says. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Trust, that's the key. When Jeremiah wrote these words, Israel was miserable because their hearts had turned away from the Lord. They trusted in a power for their well-being that was different than God. And, and there's a historical situation behind this. At the time, their capital city, Jerusalem, was sandwiched between Babylon and Egypt. Have you heard of those kingdoms? They were both terrifying places for the people of God. And God had told them, trust me, I will protect you from both of them. But then, at some point, when it seemed to the people of God that Egypt had become a real threat against them, what they did is they went and made an alliance with the kingdom of Babylon, even though God told them not to do it. And that's what it looks like when someone chooses to trust in mere mortals instead of trusting God. It's the decision to disregard God and let your security be determined by whatever your environment tells you will make you safe. Can you identify in your own experience right now uh, promises in the environment that say to you, you'll be safe if you trust this? I've seen this very dramatically in the year behind us. For many people, getting my political party in power has promised to make everything okay for me. Or others, grabbing a hold of enough money, that will finally make me feel secure. Or for some, finding the relationship that is going to satisfy that ache in my heart, that will be what makes everything okay. Or others, asserting my viewpoint against that other group over there who I think is wrong. If I can do that, I'll be fine. Or finally managing all of these unfavorable changes that have been brought about by the pandemic. Whatever it is for you, trusting in that, in mere mortals, guarantees 
that your well-being is going to be determined by environmental factors that you can't control. Do you see that? And by the way, even if you could control them and you got it to work just like you thought it would make you well, it doesn't work. God does not want you to trust anything other than him for one reason, because it's bad for you and God cares about you so much. Look at the blessed life by contrast in verse 7 and pay attention to trust here. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Trusting in the Lord is not complicated. Listen now. It means doing what God says because you've decided that he knows better than you do. Even when you feel uncertain, trusting means believing and obeying. It's not hard to see that the people of Jerusalem in this time weren't trusting because God said, don't make an alliance. And they did anyway, because to them it seemed like an alliance would be better. Trusting the Lord means not making an alliance if God says don't. And it's very easy to get this word trust wrong. And and please follow this. This is important. Maybe we've learned that trust is a feeling which you either have for someone or not. That's not what trust is here. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. And it's a choice to be guided by someone who you've regarded as authoritative. And then trusting the Lord means following him and letting him be your guide, whatever you feel in here. Think of it like this. Imagine that you're walking on a path and you've come to a fork in the road. There are two different paths and your feelings and your instincts tell you, I should take the path on the left. But then the guide that you've decided to trust says the path on the right is the one you should take. Trusting means going on the path on the right, even though your heart tells you the left. It's hard to do that sometimes, right? But the promise here is very simple. If you will choose to trust the Lord in that way, then you will be like a tree planted by a stream of water. And if you won't make that choice, which you're free not to make, then it will be the opposite for you. You will always and forever be a slave of the circumstances that you can't control. Jeremiah's lesson is simple. Whether our well-being, and this is for all of us, whether our well-being in the days before us is like a desert shrub or a tree planted by streams of water depends on whether we will put our trust in the Lord or anywhere else. I want this to be as practical as possible for all of us this morning. This wisdom that Jeremiah gave was exactly the same thing that Jesus taught. I'm sure some of you will know the lesson that Jesus gave about two different houses. Uh, Jesus said it like this, anyone who hears my words and does what I say, that person will be like someone who builds a house on the rock. And when the storms come, that house will be fine. But anyone who hears what I say and doesn't do it, they'll be like someone who builds a house on the sand. And so when the storms come, that house will be washed away. Uh, You see the contrast similarly to the tree planted by the stream and, and the desert shrub. Now, in order for you and for me this morning to have something to hold on to, I'm gonna give four concrete commands of Jesus, which 
we're all invited either to trust or not. And I'm going to urge us all to choose to trust Jesus in these ways. There are a lot more than four things which Jesus says, which are like commands. But these four seem to me to be relevant for where we are right now in April of 2021. Okay? And I'm going to give you a list that you can take with you. Here's the first commandment of Jesus, which we're invited to trust. Be carefree. Let that sink in for a moment. It's a command that Jesus gives. Be carefree. The opposite of carefree is anxious, nervous, worried, always consumed with uh, anxiety. Jesus doesn't want that for us. And, And you know this, there are more things than ever right now for us to be anxious about. Don't you think that's true? A constant stream of news stories to worry about. If we look down the road too far, oh, we've all got plenty of reasons to become overwhelmed. But listen carefully to these words of Jesus. Okay, this is Matthew 6, verse 25. Do not worry about your life. Okay, by your life, Jesus means any and everything that is a part of your experience. Don't worry about it. Instead, be carefree. God knows exactly what you need right now. Jesus said this because he believed that. Every one of you, God knows exactly what you need and you matter to him more than you've ever imagined. And so he'll provide. Don't be consumed with care over the things that are out of your control. Instead, make your number one priority God's kingdom and trust him to provide exactly what you need. Be carefree. That's first. If you trust him in this, you will be like a tree planted by water. All right, here's the second command. Also from Jesus. Ready? It is be generous. Every time a person is consumed with care and anxious, they tend to turn inward trying to find security by keeping everything they can for themselves, guarding and hoarding in hopes of fending off worry. I can promise you that does not work. It only makes your well-being even more dependent on your externals like a shrub in the wilderness. But Jesus teaches the exact opposite. This is Luke 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Jesus tells us that everything we have, everything, belongs to God and we've been trusted with it in order for us to become useful with all that we've got in his work in the world. And when we have that attitude, then we can give. And if we'll give in every way that God enables us to, then what we'll discover is a massive freedom with regard to everything that we're willing to let go of. When we divest ourselves for the good of others, then God will make sure that we have enough of whatever we've given away. And so we should be generous with our money, with our time, with our talents, with our outlook on the people around us, with our judgments. We can be generous in all of those ways. And then the promise is God will be generous To us, we will have plenty and like a tree planted by streams of water, what's happening out there won't matter in the same way. Second command is be generous. The third, this one's very counterintuitive in our day, is be last. 
This one seems fitting because right now, the public witness of Christians in our world seems to point in the opposite direction. I don't know if you've noticed this. I sure have. Many vocal conservatives who identify as Christians seem to be promoting an us-first mentality, especially in politics, but not only there. A demand that we should be respected. Uh, This sense that we should have everything we have a right to so that we would be winners in this world. Jesus taught his followers to take a very different path, to become great by being last. Listen to the way he puts it. This is Mark 9.35. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all. Try to imagine if you adopted that outlook in every conflict that you face which awakens the desire in you to win. Have you felt that desire awakened? I'm sure you have. Political discussions where the other side speaks loudly make me want to win. Jesus says, be last. Disagreements with my friends over things that I care a lot about. Same thing. I want to win. Jesus says, be last. This certainly will happen with siblings when you get into arguments or fights. Or people in your family when things aren't going well between you and your spouse or the the people around you that you love and care deeply about. Jesus says, if you want to shrivel up like a shrub in the desert, go on trying to win all the time and be first. But if you're ready to thrive like a tree planted by water, then be last. Can you imagine the freedom that would come with not needing to be in fights anymore? or assert my viewpoint always, or have to post something that reinforces the side that I'm on, oh, it would make the world an awful lot nicer to live in. Just as an aside, the more that people listen to Jesus, the better it is for them and for everyone around them. Here, this is the fourth one that I've found, and this one also seems really pertinent for where we are today. The fourth commandment is be peacemakers. Listen to the way Jesus put it. This is Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's the same word that Jeremiah used to describe those who trust in the Lord. They're blessed. To be a peacemaker means not only to avoid conflicts, but proactively pursue peace in the world around us. And that means resisting the urge to get dragged into a fight. It means choosing not to add my two cents to reinforce my viewpoint. It means choosing not to bring up that subject that I know the other person is on the other side of with me, but instead, it means work for peace. Literally, do everything that I can in all of the relationships I have to bring about harmony, to end fights and help people see what really unites us deep down inside. This lesson from Jeremiah, which also is reinforced by Jesus, well, it does, in fact, unite us more profoundly than we tend to see. And it's very simple. The well-being for every man and every woman and every child, every person, deep down comes from where they put their trust. Folks who've tried to trust all kinds of other things out there will discover one way or another that they never work. But the invitation that we have from Jesus with these commands here and from Jeremiah's beautiful image of the tree and the shrub is plain. 
we can choose today to put our trust in Jesus. We can do that. And that means deciding to trust him not just with what we say or how we feel, but how we behave, how we act. The invitation to do that is for every one of us, and the promise that comes with it is not only the promise for well-being for ourselves, but also for others. And this is the thought I want to leave us with this morning. The fruit that the tree bears isn't for the sake of the tree, but rather for the sake of others in the environment who are hungry and need something good to eat. God wants you not only to thrive for yourself, but for the people that he's put in your life. And he wants the same thing for Renaissance Church. And as the pastor of Renaissance Church, this is one of the things that I love best about it. To me, it's a church that seems to have an outlook on the world around that is benevolent. I see it in the way that people behave in this church and the way the church uses its resources, that we want to be good for the world around us. We do, and that's wonderful. And we should be good for the neighbors in Springfield, for the people that you go to school with or work with, the people that you live with. We should be a blessing in the world around us. And the promise from Jeremiah is that when we trust the Lord, it's good for us, and then we provide fruit for the world around us. That's what God wants for us, and that's what God wants through us. He promises that when we pray and ask for his help, he'll give it. And so that's how we'll close. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us your word through the prophet Jeremiah and through Jesus so that we can see the path to well-being. Many of us have suffered because we've put our trust in things that were not worthy of our trust. Forgive us for those times when that's been because of our own wrong choices. Have mercy on us and help us recover from the wounds that we bear because we've taken the wrong pathways. And then pour your spirit out into us so that in the days ahead and in these moments now, our hearts can be turned toward you and then we can open them up to trust you, not just in word, but in action. And then give us the wisdom and the courage and the power to do what you've called us to do wherever we find ourselves right now. In places where we need to be more carefree, help us let go of those things we've been tied up about. In places where you've given us things that you want us to share, help us be generous. In those places where we're still striving to win, help us let go of that ambition and be okay being last. And then especially use all of us to be peacemakers in this time of strife. We ask for your blessing to fall upon every one of us so that we can be good for the world around us. And we ask for this in Jesus' name and with his help. Amen.